Welcome to Radio Survivor, the radio program, the podcast about community radio, college radio, non-commercial radio, and even, uh, as we say these days, commercial radio, um, if it serves communities, as well as podcasts that serve communities as well. Something we're calling community podcasting. My name is Eric Klein. I'm one of the producers and hosts of this show. And my name is Paul Riesenel, and I am the other host and producer. And not to be uh, sort of too meta, but we really got to come up with a tagline, man. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone out there listening, I mean, we, we can't, we're not going to do it every week like Scott Ackerman on Comedy Bang Bang. But, it, or, but if you can come up with a tagline for this show, because I clearly have absolutely failed uh, at doing so, we'd love it. If you could help us out, yeah, certainly. Well, I guess if if you if, if the if the criteria for success is uh, one breath, then yes, you have failed. But I w- I want to say that um, at least all of those ideas are successful. <laughs> Everything we say about what this show is is true and uh, and honest. It's just uh, it's not succinct. Yet. It's not succinct. No, uh, but that's so- because radio isn't. Uh, we, what's the niche? Not so, well, as we talk about later in the show, well, when Jennifer Waits is on for the college radio segment, we'll just preview that right up front. Yep. As we as we address, uh, I don't think kerfuffle. I think I think Jennifer told me it wasn't quite a kerfuffle, but some uh, people are talking about some provocative. Uh, Essays that have been released into the blogosphere about college radio. So we take that up. And the diversity of right. college radio is heavily uh, at question. So that's coming up later in the even, show. Even calling it college radio, which is how you have to talk about it. Right. It needs a name. But as soon as you just say college radio, what pops up in my mind is not necessarily the same thing that pops up in Jennifer's right. mind. And Jennifer and I have spent the last year learning to agree with one another what college radio is. It's such a diverse world that when I say uh, when I say community radio, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're thinking of the same radio station that I'm thinking of. Right, and that's our problem with the catchphrase or the tagline or whatever it is. So if you if y'all can help us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com or tweet us. That'd be great if you could just if you could just uh, uh, if you could tweet us. We need could, a hashtag. Well, that way, if it stays at 140 characters, it's definitely one breath, right? <laughs> tweet us what you think it should be. So uh, with the hashtag, and we're going to remove more characters from you now. Uh. So so we're gonna so we want the uh, we want uh, the the radio hashtag radio survivor catchphrase. Huh. <laughs> so we've just stolen 25 characters from you or so. Tagline is Tag, tagline. Oh, tagline is better. Kiss. All right, Radio Survivor tagline. Hashtag Radio Survivor tagline. Thank you. <laughs> if you could help us, we'd greatly appreciate it. I'll start. I'll start it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. We'll get that going uh, on Twitter, which is useful for a lot of things, but not useful for everything. Apropos nothing. I don't know why I just said that. Because um, I'm on my fourth cup of coffee and I'm ready to go, you Eric. Think, you're thinking about Twitter as a platform. I yeah. do. I do sometimes think about it as a platform. But speaking of platforms, uh, the first story I wanted to talk about this week is Edison Research, which is a, a polling research company, released their annual Infinite Dial survey results. And uh, folks in radio and all sectors of sort of audio media eagerly anticipate this survey every year. Why? Um, because it has lots and lots of data about how Americans use audio and radio. And so it's a national phone survey, 
in which they ask people questions about podcasting. They ask people questions about in- internet radio. They ask people questions about how they listen to radio and they break it down by age demographics and, and gives us lots of insight about, about where we are with radio these days. Do you have to have a landline to get the call? No, from they them? they uh, they call. Then they they break it down that they call both cell phones and uh, regular landlines because uh, since they're not a robocall and they're not uh, telemarketers, it's legal for them to do so. Oh, good. Yeah. So they actually they they, they bring that up front, and it's it's well do- it's a well done survey. And one of the great interesting things about it is that it's been going on for so long. It's a fair amount of longitudinal data. And they've been asking about podcasting for a lot of years as well. Ooh. So they have lots of longitudinal data about podcasting. So that was released on March 10th. And we'll certainly link to their slide deck um, at radiosurvivor.com uh, slash podcast. Dial. But there was some interesting data. And I live tweeted part of it uh, to the Radio Survivor uh, Twitter followers. Um, but here's, here's one of the big headlines about radio. That uh, and and this is this is uh, one that kind of actually blew me away a little bit, and it's 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 a little scary. Drum roll: twenty one percent of American households no longer own a radio. Mm. So then that's a radio receiver in the house, not in the car. In the house, yeah, in the house. That's an important point, right? No longer have a radio in the house. If we get if we then sort of break it down by age group. 32% of Americans who are 18 to 34 do not have a radio in the household. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I had to go out of my way to buy my son a radio recently. You really? Know, like, yeah, I went, like, I, we, like, we, through all of the churning of our possessions. Yeah. It, it, uh, the thing that was our, in our house radio, in our apartment machine <laughs> that got the terrestrial signal, uh, didn't make it through the last move. And it, 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 as my son became the kind of person that I wanted to, I wanted him to hear music. You know, we had to, we, we bought a used, uh, boom box. I don't even think he uses it to listen to radio though. Yeah. Why, why did, couldn't you find a radio? Did you, did you go to like, like target or, or, or any place? And, and I mean, I, last time I was yeah. there, they had radios. Yeah. It's just the shelf space, I guess. Yeah. Or often it's a radio in something, like a clock radio or something. But I think you can still buy radios. Well, it wasn't that it's hard to find. Yeah. It was that I I had to make a decision as the curator of of things mm-hmm. that, oh, there's a the radio, the you know, the CD I moved player. Three blocks three boxes of radios. <laughs> <laughs> the CD player is missing from my son's room. He should have a CD player. And so he has a radio and a CD player and a tape deck. All three technologies that I'm sure the majority of 10-year-olds are mm-hmm. not interested in. Right. He's, he, he's interested in his tablet. Right. And as, I'm, as I imagine this data that you're talking about will It sort of starts to illuminate. But I thought yeah. that was very important. Uh, and I don't think that that says radio is dying. And, and, oh, I'm sorry. But I, what I'm, now I want to know the, this, the numbers that you just mentioned about how many people have radios in their homes – how does that break down as far as the generations? Right. It breaks down that uh, the older generations much more often have uh, have that, have a radio in their home. That's a real problem uh, since uh, we're such a youth-focused culture. So 
it is a problem for radio. Well, it's a problem because aren't listening. Well, because eventually young people become old people, <laughs> and if they're not, don't have a habit. And, and I, I think the wisdom goes, and I suppose it's worth testing. But uh, that if you don't grow up with a radio, you don't have a radio as an eighteen-year-old. Are you likely to own a radio as a forty-five-year-old? Uh, and that's I don't think we know the answer to that question. But what's interesting is it doesn't mean that they're not listening to radio because they are listening in the car. First of all, right? So car listening, AMF or radio still dominates in car listening. But also, folks are listening to internet radio. So now 57% of Americans listen to internet radio at least once a month. Pandora and Spotify? Any, all, all the above. So anything we might call internet radio, they listen to. Uh, the survey doesn't count lots of tiny small players, meaning but like they don't – if you look at the results, they don't tell you about – um, little tiny operators in, in, in the public, in the internet radio scheme, but they do count and separate out like Spotify, Pandora, et cetera. So like 32% of internet radio listeners listen to Pandora, 13% listen to Spotify, 12% listen to iHeartRadio, which I will note is mostly terrestrial stations that are also online. Um, 12% listen to Apple Music, 9% listen to Radio.com, which is CBS Radio. Okay. And so that's mostly terrestrial. Not exclusively, but mostly terrestrial radio. Um, 3% listen to TuneIn Radio, which yep. is an independent platform, uh, app and website that brings you stations. internet radio stations of all kind, which includes terrestrial, yeah. but is not exclusively terrestrial. Okay. That the, breaks down to about 8.1 million people. That's the app that I use to listen to the radio. Yeah, that's on, on, that's the app I use to listen to the radio on my yeah. phone. <laughs> stations, yeah, but stations that I used to listen to that I'm not in those cities anymore. I I I, I click on the TuneIn app. Yeah, or or stations that don't come in while in my house, even though okay. they're in my in my local city. Okay, but so if we go down and we look at at folks though in that same kind of young range, seventy nine percent of people aged tw- twelve to twenty four listen to internet radio. And 65% of people aged 25 to 54 listen to internet radio. So what we're finding, right, is if we if we take that number, 32% of people who are 18 to 34 don't own a radio, um, but 79% roughly in that in that range, the numbers don't quite map exactly, but you know, something like about 70% in that range do listen to internet radio. Well, that those numbers match up pretty well. It means that they're probably listening to internet radio at home in addition to on the go, in the car, and other places. In fact, 37% of the populace in general report listening to online radio in the car. And that will probably change as uh, cars get better at internet and you don't have to do less pairing of your phone and it doesn't soak up all your data and all the problems that people run into, I think, listening to internet radio when not stationary. Um, on Wi-Fi in particular, I think. It would be neat if they invented something where your where your car, uh, without you having to uh, press a lot of buttons and make a lot of decisions, if your car just did a lot of uh, downloading over your home Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. your car's parked in your garage and it, it creates a day's worth of content for you during your commute without uh, sucking up the data. Maybe somebody in – well, I mean that's supposed to – Did I just give away a – I think a, you just gave away a, 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 a billion-dollar idea, the next unicorn. Call me. Yeah, we, we I'm available. Have a new startup there, um, but what I take away from this data is the importance of internet radio, and in that, and in that it is not the importance of internet radio 
at the expense of broadcast so much is that they coexist. In a lot of ways, you might think about it as broadcast television and cable television. They coexist and have coexisted for a long time, right? And in cable television, you have this wider variety than you do over broadcast, and yet part of it is broadcast. Mm-hmm. And it has always been very important if you were a broadcast station to be on a cable system. In fact, there are rules called the must-carry rules that require that that your station be represented and that you work out a deal with the cable operator because it's thought that otherwise it would be a significant disadvantage to the broadcast station in terms of revenue if they weren't actually on the cable system. And over time, yes, cable television has sort of taken over. I believe the majority of American, more than a vast majority of American households have cable television, and yet lots of people still watch broadcast, and yet broadcast is still important. And I think that if we think about internet radio, like cable radio in a way, as this other way of getting radio in which it's very important that broadcast stations are represented there, and yet it's also an opportunity to have other stations is an opportunity to do things on a broadcast. I do think probably, yes, we are seeing a slow, not quite glacial shift. I think we'll see this from broadcast to internet like technologies, but right now they coexist and broadcast is still vitally, vitally important. But I think this data shows that stations can't overlook internet radio and that community station, low power FM stations in particular really need it. And I think those are the stations I want to speak to because I think they're the ones where people often won't have an internet stream because it's it's an added cost. There's the added cost of the of hosting the stream itself and of course there's the added cost of the performance royalty, something that we've talked about quite a bit on this show. If you're a low-power FM or non-commercial station in this, uh, your performance royalty rate is relatively low. Um, in fact, if you're a relatively small station, it might be as low as about $600 a year for your performance royalties, and that'll sort of cover you. But even a lot of small, low-power FM stations, that extra $600 a year is still a lot of money to them, and many just choose not to have the stream because of that extra cost. And... I would implore them to think double to think that over because what you're doing is you're potentially costing yourself young listeners. And it's not because we're a youth oriented culture. It's because today, you know, I think young listeners to independent low power FM college radio today are listeners to independent radio tomorrow. And that it's why college radio is important in sort of introducing young people, you know, college age students to both broadcasting as, as broadcasters and, and introducing them as listeners. I think so it's important for young people to have access to these stations. And if they're not online, you simply aren't going to have access to them and they're not going to know about your station. Not that you need to sort of kowtow to young listeners and, and program pop music, but that you want at least some 14-year-old, 15-year-olds to find you. Not to mention 29-year-olds. And exactly. And if they don't have radios, you, you can't assume it's because they don't buy them, but you uh, many times it's because they haven't been given a radio. 
Um, and we, I, I certainly, what I tweeted, uh, during, when, during the presentation, the webinar was, uh, we should have national by teenager radio day, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that that's old man on the porch, big big brothers and sisters across the nation buying, buying radios for their kids. That's the old man on the porch reaction. I think instead what we need to take away is that that's why it's important for stations to have that internet presence and why it's doubly troubling that lots of independent webcasters are being put out of business by the mm-hmm. performance royalties situation because it's a loss of diversity um, and you know loss of potential uh, of diversity especially for these younger listeners who might get an opportunity to be exposed to something uh, different than their local top 40 station or classic rock station or, or the same stations they're otherwise sort of exposed to uh, so that's one thing I want to put out but then there's another piece of data I think that even further uh, illuminates this gap. And that's – they ask the question of music discovery. How do you discover new music? Mm. Across all age groups, 68 percent of people say radio, AM and FM radio is how they discover new music. Interesting. Uh, the only factor higher than that is friends and family. So recommendations from, from friends and family. But when we break it down by age and we get – and we talk to 12 to 24-year-olds, only 58 percent – learn about new music from radio. Can you guess what their number one music platform is? Pandora. No. Spotify? No. Oh, YouTube. YouTube. I knew that. 86% <laughs> find out about music from YouTube. But YouTube, we, we can lament that, but we can also say what's one of the great parts about YouTube? Anyone can upload anything. Yeah. And then we see that. We see college stations and community stations really buffering their YouTube uh, presence. Because if you're introducing, say, new artists uh, at your station, put them on YouTube. And, 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 you know, some stations have great production values, three camera setups. And, of course, at a lot of colleges, you probably have a TV or film program or some kind of multimedia program where you might actually could – where you might be able to uh, to collaborate and create a collaboration between the station and students who are learning film and video. But frankly, I think, you know, having watched enough YouTube and watched enough concert videos and stuff, I don't think you even need to be that sophisticated. One camera and your air feed yeah, are just, probably enough. Yeah, just, yeah, I'll just make a, I'll just implore whoever does, whoever goes through and makes a YouTube videos to, um, to, to use the mix from the board. From the board, which will, which will sound really cameras. good. Immediately, you'll be, you'll be head and shoulders yeah. above I, uh, much of what's out there. I subscribe to WNYC's uh, YouTube channel mm-hmm. just for that reason, because for the live musical performances that they, they populate on that feed, you know, uh, two or three times a week, uh, really, really cool music. And if you tag and describe it well... People then now you're it, yeah. accessible to YouTube and to Google as people would – if people are looking for that artist who might have done a session in your studios. Even if it's just – you know, often these, these in-studio sessions are a little more impromptu where someone just sits down with an acoustic guitar in, in the air studio as opposed to a full band setup. Mm-hmm. Capture that and get it up on YouTube and you start – you know, giving an opportunity. And so I say, you know, it's sort of, we think about it on the one hand, we think, well, exposing yourself to these young, to these young listeners. But we also say we give an opportunity to, to young people to discover artists, music and style that they might not have otherwise found. I think, you know, we have to sort of think about that, that discovery action or that, that discovery element is really important. Um, and at least right now it's free, <laughs> right? Who knows what the future holds, 
but that it's it, it it serves as an opportunity i think that uh stations would be well advised uh to take advantage of um the other part is that for podcasting uh it's now 36% of americans say they have ever listened to a podcast so low it's 98 million so high i still i just i can't even comprehend the person that hasn't heard a podcast before and yet they're out there. Except they're Clearly, my mom. They're, they are. They're my mom. I should call my mom. They're sixty-four percent of the population. <laughs> but to me, you see, some people look at that and they say, "Well, uh, podcasting is just you know that, that that just shows that podcasting is little. It just doesn't really matter." But I, I say, uh, well, it's it continues to grow every year. One, but two, right? There's nothing structural about podcasting that means it can't have a larger audience. So it's not as if it's as if it's uh, inaccessible, right? You have to have the internet. You have to have the internet. But you know, if if we talk about internet radio, we just said that right. amongst Americans, fifty seven percent listen to internet radio. Oh, interesting. So fifty seven percent of Americans have listened to internet radio in in the last month. So it's really only a gap of twenty one percent. I wonder uh, how much this has to do with the fact that some people don't want to hear talk. Absolutely. I'm certain that, so the, that, that that talk is part of it. Yeah. If there I think, was a more robust musical podcasting. Right. Which is its own question. Music licensing. Because of music licensing. Yeah. Although certainly uh, if you work with artists who give you permission and there are like, so KEXP in Seattle yep. has a music that matters podcast. And I believe they go and they get permission. I was talking with someone uh, in the internet radio industry the other day who said that a lot of label uh, promotions folks will give explicit permission on when they're promoting tracks to, to be used in a podcast. There usually tend to be smaller artists who, who understand the exposure is probably worth more than any possible royalties they would get from a podcast. Um, so there are opportunities out there. It's not as if music podcasts can't exist. It just, they, you have to work a little harder uh, to make them exist. Uh, it's not as simple as saying, here's my stack of CDs and treating it like, you know, a, a late night community radio show. You'd have to work a bit, but they do exist. And of course there's the free music archive. Yeah. One of my favorite podcasts that I do subscribe to is Liz Berg's, a WFMU podcast. So I think if you search for Liz Berg on on the on your podcasting platform of choice, you'd you'd find her music her music show, which is entirely uh, put together from the vast collection from the Free Music Archive, which and is so, all curated music where the yeah. where the artists give explicit permission to give it away. And 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 not only is she. Not only has it been curated one once by the Free Music Archive, good by the people that put those stuff. Not only has it been curated once by the Free Music Archive, but it's been the shows, the hour of music has been curated again by Liz, uh, so that every every episode is its own radio program. You know, the, there's relationships between the songs as we love for right. She, she's radio. an excellent DJ. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and I probably the only barrier different, there different shows every every week is that. A lot of folks want to listen to 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 music they know, and you're which not going to get Justin you're not Bieber get there, which on is, her show. Yeah, exactly, which is you know the same barrier that much of college and community radio faces to begin with. Um, but I think it's great to see that expanding. It means though that there's there's great more opportunity. I mean, so and so when we've talked about here about podcasting, and that how you know sometimes a uh, a discouraging force people have is they feel like oh well. You know, if I can't have as many listeners as This American Life, 
or you know a big name show or they feel like they don't have a lot of listeners are, are they is it worth doing but i see this and i go well we can only go up from here <laughs> right is that it's likely you know that with the energy behind podcasting and i think part of what drives people to listen to podcasts is more people podcasting and some often worry, will, will we reach saturation? Is there too many? Is there too little, too much chaff, not enough wheat? And I go, I don't know. It seems like YouTube doesn't suffer. Uh, there, There's, what is it, something like 400 hours of videos uploaded to YouTube every minute. Online video doesn't suffer for that. And folks find their niche and find their audience even so. I think for podcasting, it can go up. It's only going to go up in terms of listenership as more people discover it and, and, and find ways in which it suits their life and their lifestyle and they learn from it. And I think it's a great opportunity for anyone who wants to podcast for whatever reason they want to podcast, whether whether they're looking to turn it into a business or whether they're doing it uh, out of sheer love for some topic. Yeah, um, we're, we're looking at growth, I think, rather than 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 a drop off. And, and, and I don't think we've actually seen much of a drop off in podcasting in general. But what's also interesting to note is that if we look at, at monthly statistics, so people who've listened to a podcast in the last month, it's 21% of people. Oh, okay. 57 million. A year ago, it was 46 million. So it's a pretty significant change. Um, amongst people aged 12 to 24, 27% of them have listened to a podcast. Huh. That's lower than I would month. have guessed. Well, often in the podcast industry, we we fight the perception that it's mostly people around the age of 35. Huh. So the, the, the perception actually has been, and we talk about perception often amongst advertisers in particular, but other people in the media industry, is that it's that there's too many people who are 35 and older. The, the, the assumption has been it's people who got locked on to podcasting in 2008 or 2009 and have stayed with it. And yet the data shows, in Old fact, fogies washing the dishes. more people aged 12 to 24 listen to podcasts than people aged 25 to 54. When they're at the gym. Or Sorry. on a bus or, <laughs> bus or, you know, riding their bikes maybe even. I hope they Don't listen have, to podcasts on your bike. I listen to podcasts. <laughs> Be careful. I only, but I only have one ear plug in. <laughs> Smart. Or I, what I hear, because I live on a, a street here in Portland that is a greenway, so it's a bike corridor. So we see almost as much bike traffic as we do mm -hmm. car traffic. And increasingly, I see people with Bluetooth speakers on their handlebars. Yeah. Right. So they're listening and many of them are listening to podcasts. Some are listening to uh, music as well as they ride down the street. So, you know, you could listen to your podcast that way with a handlebar Bluetooth speaker from your smartphone. Um, I want you to stop every single one of them and ask them very quickly what they're listening yeah, to. Yeah, as I run down the street. I'll just catch them at the intersection. Yeah. Uh, what are you listening to? I could use Shazam. When the when the sun really comes out, I'm going to put pressure on you to, to <laughs> produce that as opposed to these rainy, rainy March and Days. podcasts are constantly the antidote to what you were just talking about, the problem of listening to internet radio in your car, right? Well, you're not using data. You don't have to be connected to the internet because you can download a podcast yeah, if in you, advance. If you do a little bit of legwork before you leave the house yeah, or coffee shop. Exactly, which I sometimes don't or do. Or library. But so I think, you know, what this says to me here is that young people still like audio, <laughs> Like there doesn't seem to be a diminishing enthusiasm for audio programming of all types. And in fact, if I think about my youth, right? So we're going back a long time. But when I was, say, age 12 to 24, 
and you had said, do you listen to talk radio? I'd have said, mostly not. And if you said, do you want to listen to talk radio? I probably would have said, mostly not. And yet, with and, and I think if you'd asked most of my peers, you'd have found very few who were into talk radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it simply was not something I, I, I had much of a presence, I think, except for maybe Howard Stern. I listened to Howard Stern. None of people would have listened to Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. A little morning zoo kind of action. Yeah. And that would have been about it. And now we have, you know, something like more than a quarter of people aged 20 to 24 listening to podcasts, which we know to be principally talk radio. Yeah. No. Well, I can say from experience that uh, my third grade son was exposed to 99% invisible by a substitute teacher. Who who used ninety nine percent invisible to to uh, constructively fill up some class time, and he's been a fan ever since. He will he will go to his room with a tablet and listen to an episode of night. He's listened to more episodes than I have now uh, in his free time. So it it is a thing that is yeah. possible. All this numbers add up to the fact that radio, which is now a much bigger tent than it was twenty years ago, is the opposite of dying. It is thriving and growing. Just have to expand your definition of radio. Yeah. It comes on the internet. It comes as podcasts. Um, and to some extent, it comes as video, right? There's this, I mean, I right. think there's this intersection of, of video and radio. And I don't think I'm being, I don't think I'm going out on a limb by making that intersection. Because I do think the fact that a lot of people use YouTube for, for, for music means that they have it in a tab that's closed or you know what I mean that they're not paying attention to and just playing in the background or and I've seen people do this they bring up YouTube on their phone and they set it on on the table and everyone's listening to it yeah they're listening to YouTube not really watching it and there's plenty of I mean and I I think you may have seen these lyric videos yep so now instead a lot of artists when they're going to put out a new track then they haven't even shot a video for they do a quickie yeah. and the men are very good but their lyric videos are all graphics and they just show lyrics. And I think a lot of people aren't really watching that. It's just some people will, be. but a lot of people are listening. I'd love to see survey data on this. So a new when definition you, of radio yeah. uh, would be uh, content that is primarily for the ears, yeah. but not exclusively. And th- yeah, it's weird. And, and it's getting difficult, right? Because we, we, we're calling Spotify radio when, when at least you know a good portion of Spotify usage is on demand. Like, mm-hmm. I want to listen to this song now. And then, of course, YouTube would follow similar sorts of examples. I, you know, I, I'm looking for this song and I found it and I'm going to put on the video or even, sure. you know, people upload songs where it's just the, uh, you know, the cover art. It's completely static. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do we separate that then from listening to CDs or listening to your MP3 collection? How different is an MP3 of an album from an MP3 of a podcast? We're getting philosophical. We are, but Chicken I think it's again. worth. I think that's worth for people who love and make radio to think about. How do we fit into this landscape, and how do we make sure that anyone using any of these devices can access what we do? Yeah, feel included, right? Because to to sit there and go, well, we're we're only going to be broadcast may mean, if you're a community station, that you're actually not providing a full level of service. 
it stops being just a question that it's a luxury, but starts to becoming a question of, are you actually being community radio if a fifth of your community can't hear you because they don't use radios? It, that starts to become a strong argument for why you should be online. And for a lot of stations, pioneering stations on the internet who were also broadcast stations, many of them went online because they didn't have great signals mm-hmm. <laughs> because of, of geography or they're in urban areas. And so they went online because they saw it immediately as this adjunct, as this way to 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 sort of best serve their listenership. Yeah, and same, I think many, same reason cable television was invented. Exactly. And I think a lot of folks the in hills. community radio that I've talked to over the years sometimes have looked at it, at, at internet radio as uh, wouldn't it be nice? Or sure, you know, if we could have listeners in Germany, isn't that nice? But I think what we're learning now is that this is not about principally serving global listeners. It can and will be about serving people in your community who should, who are part of your audience, but to whom you will not be accessible if you are not on the internet. But it's part of this larger thing and that podcast will make you accessible. So even if you aren't able to do your music programming, if you can do your talk programming and turn on the podcast, you are now better serving your audience. Um, And if you can take things that translate well to YouTube music performances, Mm. but I think even it could be talk shows. I mean, there are podcasts, lots of podcasts are on YouTube, especially uh, ones that are aimed at a younger audience. They have an audio podcast, but they're on video. And often it's just the video of people sitting around the table with microphones. Yes. And oftentimes it's just a static image and and the audio. And, 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 you know, we, I should probably take this advice ourselves because we don't put our podcast up on YouTube. Uh, Who needs it? Kicking my own ass right now. But but I, I think it's probably yeah, just it's probably a mistake. You know, it's probably something we really ought to think about. So that's what I want to put out. And I want to know what people think. I mean, so you know, am I am is this am I just blowing smoke? Am I am I full of crap? Um, am I making am I am I over expanding the argument? Am I am I ta- am I doing am I taking it to absurd lengths? Or um, is this something which your station can take up? Or if you can't take up? Why can't you? And, 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 and what would it take to help stations take advantage of, of the internet universe without also undermining what they do for those who have broadcast signals without, without undermining that? We'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, I, I think I'm right. <laughs> but we'd like, I don't know if that comes across. I'm not sure anyone could figure that out, that I, I am fairly confident in my statements here. But if you think I'm wrong, tell us. This yeah. is the thing. Don't just grumble. Uh, send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Record a commentary. We will air it if you'd like If you'd like to just have a commentary or tell us you want to be on the program and take us a task. Uh, we'd be glad to invite you. Yeah. So send us up an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to continue the conversation. Uh, we, I think it's good advice. Eric, do you think it's good advice? You're willing to say no. I mean, you can say no. That a that a radio station should should get online. I'm shocked that there are stations that you were that that need this message. Yeah, no, but I hear from them. I see them uh, on message boards. I hear from them in other places every day. Yeah, where where I mean, and, and there's cost and effort. I'm not gonna I'm no. not gonna lie, but at the same time, you know, it's about if if you if you reinterpret it as service, I think you might find people willing to sponsor it or willing to underwrite it. 
um, when you when you start putting if you turn it into youth outreach or or you're phrased it the right way. I think there's a lot of interesting ways you can go about this. Yeah, but I'm older than most millennials, and I listen to a lot of audio content. And if I'm not in a car, I'm listening to it over the internet. And it's even even if it is a radio station that's coming out of the city that I live in. Um, a lot, you know, I'm listening to it over my phone through the Bluetooth speaker in the kitchen because I don't have a radio in the kitchen. And, 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 you know, I'd love to hear from folks who are younger than we, millennials or folks uh, who are now, I don't know, I don't know if current teenagers are considered millennials. I don't, I, it's a, I don't know that they, they there's are. a name for their generation and uh, my son who is a member of it rejects that name. Well, I, yeah. I read it's, they're, they're called the Homeland Generation. Oh, yeah, it's a terrible name. Yeah. So if you're a member of the generation that is not yet adequately named. Uh, we'd love to hear from you too. Let us know, uh, you know, on the, on Facebook, if you're listening on Facebook, on, on Twitter, send us an email podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'd love to hear about it. Um, in addition to hearing from you there, we'd love to get your support. We want to turn this into a radio show because we're not saying use the internet instead of broadcast. If you can have a broadcast signal, if you can be on terrestrial radio, it's wonderful. Uh, it, 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 it adds a sense of permanence. It does, expand your reach, it expands your audience, and it gets you to people who maybe don't still yet have great internet connectivity or who uh, can't afford to spend very much money on data to get internet radio. It's still very vital important. We'd love to get this show onto terrestrial stations. They've expressed interest. We do get inquiries. We need your help to do that. Um, We're looking for you to pledge whatever amount you can afford every month. A dollar, two dollar, ten dollars will help us move towards our goal to turn Radio Survivor the podcast into the weekly radio show to spread the word about radio and to 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 stimulate conversation. We hope and to I think it's in support of this great medium. Help us do that. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Uh, also, if you can only swing like a one time contribution, that will help as well. Please go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Coming up next, we have College Radio Watch with Jennifer Waits. So, Jennifer, there's been a couple of blog posts that have people in college radio talking. It's kind of provocative. And uh, maybe some people are a little upset. Other people are feeling maybe that it's they're getting their bottoms kicked a little bit. Uh, <laughs> why don't you tell me a little bit about, about this article? <laughs> well, um, Ken Mills writes the Spark blog about radio, and he wrote a couple pieces about college radio in particular. And one of the articles was about college radio's smallness. And so his point is that college radio occupies a small part of the overall radio landscape, which I think all of us would agree that, you know, college radio is not a huge part of the radio landscape. Um, But he also argued that College radio stations tend to have smaller budgets, smaller number of listeners, and he sees all of that as being a threat to its future, he says. College radio's self-imposed smallness is a threat to its future. Um, And then he argues that college radio needs to become more significant or else it will be another bug that spats on the windshield on a hot July night. So, you know, there's some statements in there that are probably intentionally provocative. Um, you know, there are things in 
in his analysis that I agree with things that I don't agree with. Um, he, within his argument, he says that college radio is shrinking, which I wouldn't agree with. I think that college radio is a bit more diverse than, than his argument, um, would allow one to believe. So it, does he give any numbers for that? I mean, does, so does he say, does he just simply say it's shrinking or does he give actual stats that indicate that it's shrinking? He didn't give any stats. He just said there are fewer and fewer stations each year. Um, and I don't have any stats that would support that. Um, I, you know, in the, in the past couple years with the new low power FM window, I, by my count, there are 76 colleges and universities that receive construction permits for new low power FM licenses. So wow, that's, that's one number. That's a significant increase. <laughs> it doesn't, it, it, yeah. And I have a hard time thinking that 76 have gone off the air in the equivalent amount of time. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we can say it's shrinking and shrinking, but we have to, you have to pick a, uh, a date at which we're starting. Are we talking about since 1971, since 1981, since 2001, since 2011, right? It's, it's a very broad statement and, and it, exactly. and I can see that there may be reason to, uh, to counter it. And people, you know, people have asked me over the years, you know, is there a list of the number of college radio stations that have gone off the air? And, and I actually don't keep track of that. So I don't, I don't know. Um, we had a period of time on Radio Survivor where it seemed like there was a lot of activity with licenses being sold, and yeah, some of the some of the larger stations in large media markets. Yeah, and that was still less than a handful of stations. But you know, those are always stories that I care about and report on. Those are important things to report on, but that's not the main story happening in college radio at any given moment. Um, you know, there are stations that have left the air, but more often than not, I'm reporting about new stations every week. Um, if you look at my Friday columns, you know, we're often writing about new stations, particularly with with so many online only stations. Um, you know, students every year, there are students who decide, hey, why don't we have a radio station on campus? And they start an online only station. And Jennifer, Ken, Ken Mills was making this argument that college radio is small all caps, S-M-A-L-L, small, but isn't, it's, it's true. And is that such a bad thing? If there is, if there's a, if there's a college radio station that functions like a club and, and produces a, an online radio station for its community, uh, can't, can't, can't we celebrate that? I do all the time. (laughs) I think small is, I don't think small is bad at all. And in fact, when I have, a choice, you know, there's some colleges that have a big, you know, well-financed radio station in addition to a small underfunded basement station. I will visit the small station before I will visit the large station. So why? Because to me, that's, I like the underdogs and, and I like stations where students have more control uh, have creative control. And often that's the case when a station is small and doesn't have a lot of oversight. So that's why I gravitate towards those stations. Yeah. T- well, say more about that because I, I agree. That's what I like about, about radio is when, when the decisions aren't being made for, you know, when this is what I assume is happening. I think that the more people you try to broadcast to the, 
the less niche and the more broad the selection of music, uh, it just gets a lot less interesting. It's no longer a unique radio station to listen to. It's more of just everything else. And so that's that's why I love smaller productions. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be um, unsuccessful to my mind. It is, does that jive with, with how you see small stations that you like? Yeah. I mean, and every station is different. So, you know, there are large stations that are doing incredible creative programming with a lot of student control too. So it, you know, it's really a case by case thing. Yeah. I think that I can understand where someone like Ken Mills is coming from um, because there it's easy to find that argument, especially in places like public radio which is which many stations are fighting for their lives um, to provide true public service. It's very necessary and a very important and strong alternative to the commercial options out there. And community stations can find themselves in that same bind as well. And it's understandable. Um, and yet on the flip side, I mean, I, there is this need for the space and the opportunity to do things that are outside the mainstream that don't necessarily appeal to a broad swath of people uh, that are experimental that, you know, I mean, when we think back to the heyday of so-called college rock, right? This idea that college radio broke all these bands like REM that would go on to become superstars. Those college radio stations were not the behemoths of their town. They were not the pop radio stations. They had influence, but I think in, in, in hindsight, people think of them as somehow in, in you know some college town that everyone had their radio tuned in. And I don't think that that was the case. It was a small number of people, maybe smaller than now, but influential nevertheless. And that size and influence aren't always the same thing. They aren't always yeah. the linear relationship. Size and impact are not always the same thing. And I think about in parallels to other things that happen in universities and colleges, theater. Often that's a place where really inventive and experimental theater forms get put together and get started. And they aren't mainstream at the time, but they become mainstream down the line. It's a place where even in terms of athletics, you know, sure, we can think about NCAA football, right? Division one football is a big deal, but it's also a venue where many uh, women get to excel in, in sports like lacrosse or in sports like softball, which don't get the same kind of coverage and don't get the same kind of uh, turnout. And yet the enrichment experience for the people involved who, who sometimes go on to Olympic level sports or other types of athletic uh competition in their lives and for the for the community around them that enjoys it it's still important and you know to to only equate sort of uh college radio with uh division one ncaa football i think uh would be sad (laughs) well and back to your 80s example um so in the 1980s before stations were online there were a lot of college stations that were campus only carrier current and so you might have had a lot of small stations and then collectively, they had a high impact on on the music scene. So there were all these different music ecosystems in different towns. And so maybe a radio station was playing a certain band and kids on their campus were listening to the radio station, you know, very actively. And maybe there are record stores in the town that ended up stocking that particular record because the kids mm-hmm. on campus wanted it. And touring bands would come to the college. So that there was their that whole scene um, where you saw college radio having a really large impact, 
but it was very small stations. It's um, grassroots, right? It, it yeah. started out at this at this at a, at, a, at a low level, and and it slowly grew. And and I think that that's a great opportunity um, because on the other side, when we start arguing too much for bigness, you know, it's as if we're embracing certain aspects of commercial radio. And I'm not going to speak against commercial radio in this so much as to say it's really nice to have the spectrum and to have the alternative, as we have called it for like 20 some years, right? This idea that, um, you know, bigness is what you do as a co- as a commercial radio station and you have financial motivations to do so. And let's, let's not judge it so much as acknowledge that it exists. And, but if we're going to see new culture, new bands, or new approaches to journalism, new approaches to documentary or sports, right? Sports coverage that, that isn't major league baseball or isn't NFL. If we're going to have that on the radio, well, then we do need this alternative non-commercial broadcasting that can be small and sustainable perhaps in smallness. But to equate that smallness with lack of impact, I, I think is mistaken. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's why we do what we do here at Radio Survivor is we want to both support and celebrate radio of all kinds that is trying to do new interesting things, connect with communities, even if those communities are smaller in numbers. They're not necessarily shooting to, to, for a mainstream and everybody, but, but are able to or willing to try and uh, take that risk really of being kind of small, but potentially starting something that turns out to be big. Yeah. Um, And when you're talking about the commercial, you know, there are a lot of college stations that really don't aspire to be anything like a commercial station. And I, I visited one station and they have a whole genre well, they strive to play. Um, they strive to play music with no commercial potential. They say, <laughs> so like that's part of the ethos at some places. Um, and ironically, sometimes the music that has no commercial potential turns out to have commercial potential. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm not interested in having an argument about whether something is or is not commercial or what, what, what the industry will or will not um, will 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 not pay attention to. So much as to understand that. Very much the, the the mainstream radio industry, the mainstream uh, you know uh, record industry. There's a large swath that it that it doesn't pay attention to. So, just talking about music. Here's something that I just is very interesting. I Ken Ken Mills's blog post is very very short. It he really doesn't get into a lot of detail about um about any of these issues. But it had it, it appears to have have a huge. Uh, People people care a lot. Yeah, it, it's people have uh, it's generated a lot of passion, and, that, and yeah. that's a great thing. Yes, that's why we're talking about it. Yeah. It's so, you know, as his his blog is called Spark, and it did spark. <laughs> <laughs> it sparked some discussion. Um, yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't provide solutions. I think he provides challenges. Um, he's challenging stations to look at these things. You know, and this is it. it if he's challenging a conversation or sparking conversation, I think it's one we've had a bunch of times, uh, both on Radio Survivor, the website, and on this podcast, because we've talked a lot about, it's usually framed in this sort of how do college stations or community stations, for that matter, um, sort of 
survive, right? How do they be, how are they sustainable? But it's often framed around this idea of figuring out, well, what is this station's mission? What does it want to be about? How can it be of service to its community? And often it's up for the station and maybe in concert if it's a college station with its campus to figure out who's in that community. What is that community? Because I think an assumption it sounds like behind Ken's argument, and it's not a bad assumption, is that the the impact is sort of the market? That's what we call them, radio markets, right? We are, you know, you're you live in the San Francisco Bay Area radio market. Someone else lives in the Los Angeles, or someone else lives in the New York radio market, or we live in the Portland radio market, and they think of impact in the market. But for a college station, it's not maybe the market, but it's it's our town, right? If if you're Northwestern University, maybe it's Evanston in the north side of Chicago, if you are uh, a station in, in a, in a sm- even smaller town, maybe it's the surrounding community, but you're also sort of counting what's our impact on campus, what's our impact in a learning community, what's our right. impact on scholarship even. And what's the impact on the participants? You know, that's something you don't necessarily think or care about in commercial or public radio, but at a college radio station, we care deeply about what impact does this station experience have on the people who are participating in it. Right. That's why it's at a college. Right. <laughs> right. That's why it's not a community radio station. Not that that is something we, we put aside at all. That's why it's not a public station or some kind of independent non-commercial station. That's why it's at a college, because it's supposed to be part of the learning experience. And, you know, and as we know... Uh, college radio stations have an incredible impact on the participants and, you know, people will come back to campus for reunions of their radio station, but they might not come back necessarily for a regular reunion. You know, people decades later will recount incredible stories about their experiences in college radio. And we've highlighted some of them on the show. We've highlight you highlight them on College Radio Watch. Yeah, you know, we talked about Judd Apatow, who was involved in high school radio, and and that really set him up for his future career in comedy. Um, as a high school radio participant, he realized he could interview famous comedians. That that gave him an an entry point into that. And there's so many stories like that where participating in high school radio or college radio became the start of. Um, a career for somebody or even was just a confidence builder. Well, we've just learned about this uh, article. I know it's been out for a little while, uh, but it just came across our transom. And so we're going to reach out to Ken and ask him to be on the show. Cause I think it, it would be great to have him uh, explain perhaps a little, a little more uh, have him explain his argument and uh, perhaps he'll, he'll be able to show us a thing or two, something that we're over that we're overlooking. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Um, And in particular, I'd like to know if he has suggestions for stations um, because he sort of leaves it up to them to figure out um, how to become significant and sustainable. (laughs) Those are like really heady. (laughs) Um, As we kind of wrap up this conversation, Jennifer, I mean, so if there's one thing – you know, after after reading this article and sort of you, you've you've been privy to some of people's other people's responses. If there's one thing you wanted to impress on someone who's read this article and has maybe been uh, sort of uh, provoked by it, what is that one thing you you would like people to know about college radio? Well, college radio is diverse, um, and and also I would say small isn't necessarily bad. So 
you know, small doesn't mean that college radio is insignificant. So I, I think, you know, as long as college stations know what their mission is and who their audience is, you know, they can express their impact in a lot of different ways. And it doesn't have to be the biggest audience in the world. So that would be my my quick take on it. Great. Well, we will reach out to Ken, uh, Ken Mills, and we will put links to the article that we're talking about, articles that we're talking about into our show notes, which will be at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We'll see if Ken wants to come on and we want to have a friendly conversation. We don't want to, if he's listening, if he hears this, we, we don't want to ambush you or not, because I think he, it sounds like Ken is something really, uh, really interesting and perhaps very valuable to add to the conversation uh, and maybe some perspectives that uh, either we don't adequately represent or even haven't thought about. So it'd be great to have him share those thoughts and for us to have a great conversation about it. And of course, uh, Jennifer, your college radio watch feature is every Friday at radiosurvivor.com. It's true. And yes, I, I am not, I'm not trying to, um, to take pot shots here either. And, (laughs) and I, I, I could be accused of being overly celebratory of college radio, but I, I do think that college radio can always do more and can always improve. Um, and in fact, I'd love to see more collaborations between stations and I'd like to see stations doing a better job at promoting their own work. So, so yeah, it's, um, there's, there's still work to be done. I would agree. Absolutely. And we hope that, uh, we contribute a little bit at least here at radio survivor. Thanks so much, Jennifer. All right. Thanks. Thanks again to Jennifer for joining us with her College Radio Watch segment. Uh, That's about it for today's episode of Radio Survivor. I think right before we say what we usually say at the end, I just want to tell you, Paul, and the people who listen, that I love a podcast. I found a You friend. love a podcast? I love a new podcast. It's, it's new to me. It's been on the radio. <laughs> it's been on the internet for, um, for well, let's see. It's, it's been- funny how we can't get rid of these metaphors <laughs> because we still talk about like being on the air with regard to podcasting, even though there was never it's, any air. It's about 28 weeks old. It's 28 episodes old. It's called okay. Joe... Boyd's A to Z. And a friend recommended it to me and I finally queued it up. And it's it's so special. It's Joe Boyd is a radio uh, <laughs> Joe Boyd is a music producer who's uh who has a a lifetime of experience. He's actually uh responsible for a lot of albums that a lot I did, I've never known about the the man before. His reputation had not reached me, but um now that I know who he is, I'm fascinated. And his podcast is uh, he reminisces and he makes connections about uh, music and albums that he's been responsible for recording. Oh, wow. As a producer. But he also – so episode one, uh, it, I think it all starts with iTunes. That's the funny part. He loaded up his MP3 player with all of the songs in his collection and then listened to them – in alphabetical order. And that wow. was the inspiration. So episode one, the letter A, is every single version of Ain't Misbehavin' that he had in his huh. in his iTunes queue. And he gives you his opinion about each recording. And he also talks about um, the writers of this song and the fascinating history 
because uh, the man who wrote the lyrics, there should be there should be a biopic hmm. about this guy. Anyway, wonderful show. And what I like best about it is uh, it's so sound rich. It's um, not only is Joe Boyd a wonderful writer and great at the off the cuff monologuing that you need in a podcaster or a radio. He's doing great radio is what he's doing. But the the music is so uh it could not exist if it were not for the music. I would not read Joe Boyd's blog on these songs. Mm-hmm. I want to hear him uh play me these songs and it's it's an amazing show and he's gone all the way through the alphabet. I've only gotten to listen to letter D so far, but he's gone all the way down from A to Z and now he's going back again through the alphabet. There's got to be a lot more songs there, yeah. Uh, is this on a network or is this independent? Nope, Joe Boyd's A to Z. Wow. All right. We'll put that in show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, where you can find uh, references to things we talk about on this podcast. Of course, you can find our full back catalog of shows. Uh, There's 37 other episodes of Radio Survivor. And while some of them are more newsy, some of them are more evergreen. And so if you're just kind of coming into the show now, take a look there and Mm. look for some topics that you might find interesting. I would point people towards our episode about over the edge when we commemorated um the passing of one of those the producers of that show i think we that was like episode number four or three so yes uh exactly don joyce don joyce uh, the the host of over the edge and a member of the collage musical group negative land uh we sort of we we, we eulogized him in our in our own special podcast way yeah that's uh, that's one i would go back and listen to if if you haven't heard it yet that's where i point you where would you point people to i don't know next time i think uh, i think there's sort of a statement of purpose embedded in our uh conversation with uh bainbridge island uh community podcasting uh, a group that decided to do podcasting instead of community radio right. and very very articulately explained their process and it was so once they explained it it was so obvious yeah that's- and, and and yet so communitarian and help i think to illustrate how this audio medium is radio regard uh, the argument i was making earlier how it's 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 radio when you make it radio and uh, those folks there are, are really amazing in their interests and in their desire to create what, what may in fact be in some ways better community radio because of the way of how doing only podcasts, so to speak, gives them the opportunity to do things uh, that because they don't have to worry about keeping a transmitter going. So I think yeah. that that's a great, a great episode I forgot as well. about them as individuals, but that segment and that episode was responsible for breaking down some huge walls that I had accidentally put up in my mind about what community radio was as opposed to what podcasting was. Yeah. And the idea that there's a thing called community podcasting at all, uh, that's, yeah, that's where I learned about it. So we'll put those Bainbridge in the show community notes media. so you can find them easily at uh, com slash podcast. Of course, uh, we're part of radiosurvivor.com, which stories about radio, radio that matters every single day of the week. Multiple times a Multiple day. Multiple times. Some 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 days, not every day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Oh, and if you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, subscribe on iTunes. If you use iTunes or the podcast app, 
uh, and rate us there. Click some stars or leave a, leave a review because that helps other people find the show. Thank you so much for your time that you spent with us. Thank you, Eric, for uh, hanging out with me for another hour. Thank you, Paul. Some. Yeah, thanks for setting up all this gear so we could have a show. It was fun. <laughs>